0: Welcome to Climate Insiders, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes of Europe's climate tech revolution, brought to you by Clementum Capital. I'm Johan Bernot, a general partner at Clementum, and I'll be your host. In each episode, I'll have one of Europe's top founders and investors, and we will try to understand how they think about climate, what has led to their success, and what are the best insights they can share with you to accelerate your climate journey. There will be a lot of terrific guests on this show and we won't shy away from spikes secrets and contrarian views to make sure you don't miss out on any episode and access all the insights you can subscribe at climateinsiders.co hey guys our guest today is christopher burkhart he's the ex-managing director europe of chargepoint a u.s company that built the world's largest network of electric vehicle charging stations They went public in March 2021, listed on the New York Stock Exchange, and became the world's first publicly traded EV charging company. Today, Christopher is a venture partner at 2150, an advisor to Goldman Sachs, and an active business angel investing in startups and climate funds. We will cover the role of transportation in this climate transition, but most of all, talk about Europe's key ingredients for success in this climate race. Let's jump right into it. Christopher. It's great to have you on the show. Welcome.
1: Thank you very much. Very happy to be here.
0: So let's set you right into the hot seat and start spiky. (laughs) You were managing director Europe of ChargePoint. ChargePoint went public in March 2021. Why in hell did you live them since then?
1: <laughs> so first of all, yeah, we had a we had a great uh, we had a great ride, or I had a great ride at ChargePoint. I was part of the executive management team for a little over four years. As you said, we went public in March 2021, and that was really the accumulation of a lot of work becoming the market leader in North America, and then really expanding our European team from a very small team in the Regis office in Amsterdam in 2017 to you know, more than 300 people uh, at uh, the end of uh, last year. I left um, after my time just because um, my priorities were were such that I wanted to spend some time with the family, wanted wanted to spend some time to look around and see what was going on in this really, really exciting field of climate tech, uh, mobility, energy. And I thought, you know, ChargePoint was at the great moment where we had really built a European team that was super strong, both organically and then through two large acquisitions we did last year with has to be and Vericity. And it just seemed mm-hmm. like the right time to um, hand over to the team and let the team, um, you know, basically continue to execute against a really, really aggressive and, uh, and very uh, positive growth plan.
0: And, and indeed, uh, we do have enormous targets, both in Europe and globally. Talking about transportation and, and cars specifically, we need to electrify or greenify 250 million cars in the EU alone. And first of all, what's the place of hydrogen in that mix? Uh, and what will be the, the market share between electric and hydrogen, in your opinion?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Jan. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And besides the, 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 the transport sector, which is actually... Um, a relatively speaking small part of total emissions. I mean, there's industry to, to 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 electrify and to green and so on. And the reason why I mentioned that is because I think hydrogen has got a very important part to play in uh, the electrification um, of all sorts of different sectors, including, of course, also transportation. I think battery electric is the way that passenger cars are going today. And I think for vans and and medium medium sized trucks, that's going to be the same thing. I think on large trucks, um, the the sort of uh, the game is still open uh, as to which technology will ultimately win. And maybe not one technology will win, but it'll be a mix of different technologies. Which is what my expectation would be is that hydrogen will play a role uh, and battery electric will play a role, depending on the use cases. Which for electric vehicles is super important, because you know everything comes down to how the vehicle is used um, as regards, you know, which technology you want to choose in order to electrify it. So I think the role of hydrogen is there. I think it particularly plays an enormous role in the electrification and, uh, and the cleaning of industry. Um, and uh, it will play a role in the transport sector as well, especially, by the way, for aviation and shipping uh, mm-hmm. and also for for heavy transport.
0: And uh, there's been a lot of funding, right? A ton of funding in the past two, five years into micro-mobility, the scooters, the infamous e-scooters that have invaded every capital and city in Europe and globally. What do you think of their impact profile? I would love to hear from an expert. What do you think? Is that carbon positive or is it carbon negative? What can we do about it?
1: Yes, yeah, so I think that's an interesting question. I mean, as you know, I spent quite a bit of time at Uber as part of the EMEA team um, before I joined ChargePoint. So I know a little bit about, you know, um, the mobility scene in cities. Um, I think um, the important thing is, first of all, getting people out of vehicles and out of using motorized transport um to effectively other means of transportation is super important, and micro mobility plays a huge role in that. Um, e-bikes, scooters, all of those means of transport that effectively offer different options uh, for people to get around, uh, especially urban areas. And I think, as you know, there's lots of sort of um, uh, joint action where, between you know ride sharing and car sharing companies and micro mobility companies to sort of look at you know the last bit where you get out of another means of transport to your destination. So I think scooters play a huge role. I think from an environmental impact point of view, um, you know, their their profile is extremely positive. I think there are other dimensions that need to be taken into account. Um, You know, and I think that's where the main debate today is, which is around safety uh, and ensuring that we can use the space, which is the street in a different manner as we electrify uh, transport and as we go to multimodal. Uh, And that's where, you know, scooters play an important role in determining sort of how streets should be used, uh, you know, what space you use for people who are on foot, what space you use for for effectively motorized vehicles, cars and others, vans and so on. And then what the role is of bikes and and scooters and so on in that mix, right? So
0: uh, let's double click on that. You, You said that the environmental profile is actually positive? But the the, the environmental, pro,
1: pro, yes. So the way I look at it is, if you provide an alternative means of transport um, to uh, to people that effectively um, gets them to abandon their car, um, which in a city context um, is the ultimate overarching objective, in which my opinion. Which has not
0: opinion, been the case of, so far. It's why do you say are it's are not taking... been the case? you're probably the expert here i just uh, from from my perspective it, lo- it looks like people that are already using bikes or public transportation that are switching to those e-scooters
1: um and okay really the, so
0: the car owners
1: so i think when you're looking at um, some of the some of the research that has been done by companies like uber i e companies that are looking at mobility in urban areas um, what you will see is that offering uh, alternatives to car, to moving around in your own privately owned vehicle um, when those opportunities are offered. And those opportunities are effectively ride sharing, um, somewhat car sharing, but then electric bikes, electric scooters. It gives people the, op- the option of doing something different than mm-hmm. using their vehicle and people pick, pick up on that. I mean, if you look at cities like London, the numbers are actually very large. Um, Of people, more than 50% of people who say that they will uh, abandon their vehicle uh, in favor of um, other means of transport. Now, what exactly the role of scooters is in that, I can't tell you uh, because I don't have that data in front of me. But Mm -hmm. I think when you're doing a data-driven analysis, at least I would say from the data I know, um, is offering alternative means of transports like scooters is a really important sort of uh, first step. To get people out of uh, the transport means that clog up cities, city streets today, right? Right. Now, having said that, let's maybe stick with that for one second. Having said that, I think the question is, um, you know, and this is this is, I think, where cities are struggling today. Is you need to ensure that the different modes of transport that are offered to people are actually complementary, right? So I think having five or six scooter um, scooter companies uh, active in a city competing for a relatively small share um, of the overall sort of uh, uh, kilometers, walk-driven, whatever, uh, is problematic today because it basically clogs up cities with scooters lying around pavements, mm-hmm. which is not what you want, right? And then you could argue that maybe the footprint isn't great because there's a lot of unused uh, equipment around, Right. Um, I would argue from a different point of view, I would argue that today our main issue is that cities are still largely based around people using their private vehicles. Some cities are much further ahead than others in this particular se- uh, se- um, sort of area than others. But the main issue is offering multiple modes of transport other than your own private vehicle to people is super important uh, in terms of um Um, you know, having a positive impact on the environment and creating an emissions-free sort of transportation system.
0: Should we chase more as as an ecosystem, but also as investors, more unicorns or fund more medium-sized companies that can diffuse innovation in each country? So essentially funding more regional leaders versus global leaders. Yeah. Talking both for financial success, but especially for our climate target and reducing CO2 emissions.
1: Yeah, I think ultimately, um, a technology that is successful should be able to achieve global leadership, right? Now, so um, so I think is it important to ensure that um, that many get funded at the bo- at the early early stage? Yes, absolutely. So, do we need to create an ecosystem in which inventions find? Uh, find capital? Absolutely. W- will all of those inventions ultimately reach a sort of unicorn status? No, most likely not. But is that important? It's important that a certain amount of them do, right? Um, because unless that's the case, you know, the thesis that, you know, we're, Europe is a hotbed of innovation just doesn't mm-hmm. stand, right? So I think I think the important thing is... Um, chasing unicorns is, um, is a difficult business, right? Because by, by definition, there's going to be very few of mm-hmm. them, but the way you get there is to create a, um, a market environment in which in innovation meets capital, um, and that capital announced that allows that innovation to grow and ultimately tap global markets. Um, I think the great thing we have in Europe is while we have many different countries that often create some obstacles, because, you know, I'll take again a sector. I know the energy markets are very different from one country to another. I think they're becoming more and more similar across Europe and they will need to continue to do so, but they're still quite different. So just because you're very successful in France doesn't mean that you're going to be very successful in Germany, Uh, but you know, there's, there's work to do there. However, across Europe, we have a situation in which especially climate tech meets an environment, uh, a sort of regulatory and and market environment that's extremely receptive. And I Mm -hmm. think manage, so ensuring that that meets a capital, um, a capital environment that, um, that is plentiful and that um, rewards innovation. Um, is super important. And that's how you create global leaders out of Europe, that by definition will need to be European leaders before they become global leaders, if they want to tap that market environment that we have here, right, with their inventions and innovations.
0: And I I want to take a minute to reflect on on this. This is very important. It's a a more profound idea than it it sounds. Um, You and I both worked in Silicon Valley, and we're back in Europe. So we're trying to take the learnings and distill them here locally. And there's a lot of learnings that still need to be diffused. I started working in San Francisco in 2012, right when Facebook acquired Instagram for a billion dollars, which was a shocking sum at a time uh, for a company of 13 employees. The ecosystem looked very different back then. And most people already called it a bubble. I remember reading all those news on TechCrunch and different magazines, and while I was excited to be part of this ecosystem, I started to believe the narrative that it was shortly going to burst, that beyond the three companies that were making a killing, uh, most of the ecosystem was on perfusion and kept artificially alive. We're now 10 years later, 2022, and uh, some of the facts to put things into perspective, can you even guess how many users Instagram had in end of 2012, roughly? Oh,
1: that's a great it's a great question. No, I don't. But um, yeah, it'll be um, many gazillion millions more than, than at the time that you were talking about.
0: Yeah, so I, I checked it out. It was 50 million. And it, it was already oh, exponential yeah. curve, but 50 million. And as of 2021, there's 1.2 billion monthly active users on Instagram which is 28% of the world's internet users so well wow. back then that billion dollar acquisition in hindsight is a visionary move and um, while Instagram is an outlier there there's been many insane successes from San Francisco and I, I want us to discuss the lessons we can derive from from it from Europe as an ecosystem so there's, there's really two two key points is there is the exponential technological trends that are unpredictable so if we look at climate tech, there's just this ginormous wall in 2030. That is a fact. So there's an enormous macro trend um, and everything can happen in 10 years. A, comp- a, a sector that is barely nascent or you know, c- you know, tipping into interesting territory might become an enormous, ginormous sector in 10 years. And the second aspect is, is the crucial role of visionary leaders to carry the ecosystem forward. So Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook, uh, through their acquisitions, but also Google and all those enormous tech players, have seeded the entrepreneurs that made Silicon Valley. And this is, they didn't start, uh, Google, Amazon and Facebook didn't start an ecosystem, it was already long. But we are at a crossroads in Europe, in my opinion, and you and I spoke about this, where we need much more success stories that seed the entrepreneurs of tomorrow. And it's only when you start having a recycling machine that it starts feeding itself and then it becomes a flywheel, which means that the capitals, Berlin, Paris, Amsterdam, London, or in the Nordics, that are seeing unicorns and a bit of excitement around the tech world will look very different 10 years from now.
1: Yeah, that's correct. Absolutely, I, as you know, I, hundred percent concur with that. I think success breeds success. I think there is a, a piece as well where um, the capital that has been made or the the the, um, uh, the proceeds from from the successes um, get reinvested, right? Uh, mm-hmm. So you and I talked about this. I think this is a very important lesson, which is how do we get successful successful entrepreneurs to effectively recycle their profits. Um, into uh, you know fresh startups that uh, they believe in, both at the stage where a company is successful, and you mentioned the uh, Facebook, Instagram example, where a company is successful and effectively becomes a uh, a uh, a source of exit opportunity for uh, startups that have created inventions that will then amplify those platforms, right? And I think that's one of the things that happened with Instagram, which is Instagram then, you know, found this extremely, um, extremely uh, f- fertile um, sort of breeding ground for effectively becoming much more successful than it could have been on its own. Mm-hmm. Um, but also through venture capital um, and uh, and other financing instruments, actually recycling that capital into new companies into new inventions is absolutely critical and i think this is sort of a call to action to i think the european financing community but especially european entrepreneurs um, that have been successful either in climate tech or in related sectors or who are just very interested in climate tech and might come from very traditional uh, backgrounds right like real estate or oil and gas but have realized that you know there is this 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 um this transformation happening and that um, providing opportunity for ideas and for inventions, and then taking them to market successfully is what Silicon Valley has perfected as a model, but it's not unique to Silicon Valley. It's something that's very exportable. It's very rep- replicable. Um, uh, I think there's a lot of work for us in Europe in order to replicate it. And it starts with you know ensuring that entrepreneurs can take risk uh, and are rewarded for risk, even if the risk turns into failure at some point, i.e. you can start again to having enough capital uh, available that allows you to take an idea from idea stage to market, right? And then grow it from there and then scale it from there um, to all the way to the exit opportunities and creating liquid markets for, uh, for these kinds of, um, for these kind of uh, opportunities for these kind of businesses. I think where we've been very good in Europe is at, um, you know, setting regulation and, uh, and creating an environment in which markets can exist. Um, but we haven't necessarily created as good a environment for businesses to scale and to really become those unicorns that then in turn become the examples that others aspire to and, uh, and that create that sort of fruitful environment that you can find in a place like Silicon Valley.
0: That's right. And so so in Europe, and you mentioned that, and I liked uh, the summary, you said there are three core things that makes Europe a fertile ground for the future of tech. A is the talent market. We have amazing Correct. engineers and great universities. So that's check. The second one is the regulatory framework. And we have wise politicians. They might be a little too slow from a startup perspective, but they're still trying to do something. And uh, the the needle is moving. And the third one is a liquid capital market, is the fact that the market has the ability to market make and feed itself, right, to diffuse and scale. Um, What do you think your role, and this is a key role for you as successful founders, how do we incentivize them to start pumping their own money and the proceeds from from their successes back into the ecosystem.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I think the first thing is, you know, we need to create, and, and I think, by the way, it's happening right now. We need to create a more vibrant sort of venture capital market in Europe, right? So I think one of the things that's really critical is that there's actually an ecosystem to tap, right? Which means that, you know, you don't have to go to, you um, to uh, your your traditional lending institution, or to find yourself a large company, um, you know, to to effectively um, be able to grow your business, but you can tap into a well funded um, sort of well curated um, uh, venture community in Europe that is willing to take risk on entrepreneurs. And in order for Isn't that it to the exist, case already? I think it's starting to develop now. I think it's starting to develop now. I think, you know, when you're looking at um, sort of, especially in climate tech, where we've, mm-hmm. so one of the things to, to, of course, put into perspective is we've had an enormous market run since 2008, right? Mm-hmm. So, and again, success breeds success. So there's, um, there's a lot of capital going around. And yes, that has created a very healthy sort of uh, financial community today. But I think having, um, so first of all, you mentioned it, which is bringing the entrepreneurs back into, um, back into that sort of uh, ecosystem of uh, venture capital, of deploying their own sort of, um, uh, their, the profits that they've gotten from their own exits into new ventures. I think that is starting to happen now in Europe. And I think that is the piece we need to encourage. Right, and we need and to how continue do do that? to encourage.
0: If you take so the your way to do your own personal it is, profile, how did you get started, and what do you do you wish was available back then?
1: Well, so I think you know, from my perspective, in terms of how do you do it, is one you need to connect it with that talent, right? So you mentioned the fact that the talent is there. Well, it's the connection to the talent that is absolutely critical, right? I like you very much. Uh, tapped into um, an American bread ecosystem uh, early, early on. Right. So I am not uh, one of the, um, my, the, my, my successes in business. Um, yes. We're there because um, I think the European environment, the political and regulatory environment that was created around the businesses that I was focused on, like in, in the energy sector, in the mobility sector and so on was very successful. But at the same time, a lot of the investors that were behind the companies that I helped scale and grow um, was very much a U.S. investor base until ChargePoint, actually, where you could start to see a real mix of uh, U.S., American, and European investor base, largely driven by the types of VCs that that you know were behind ChargePoint's success. Um, and I think, um, so I think today, what do we need to do? One is we can we need to ensure that that venture community continues to grow, mm-hmm. i.e. that entrepreneurs um, reinvest in new ideas, new businesses, and help entrepreneurs uh, grow and scale their companies. Two is we need to ensure that we connect that capital with the talent that is available and the talent pools that are available. And there's a huge role there also for uh, you know, cities and regions. That's how Silicon Valley was created. Cities and regions to put themselves forward um, as those hotbeds for entrepreneurs, attract those entrepreneurs, create together with universities and other research centers uh, the sort of environments that allow those entrepreneurs to really uh, build the businesses of, of the future. And then thirdly, connect that back with an informed sort of uh, political environment and policy environment that then allows us to set the right sort of targets, um, the right sort of um, regulations around the kind of businesses and the kind of industries we need to create. The interesting thing when you look at, it, at the mobility transition, when you look at the energy transition and so on, is that there are really many revolutions that are happening um, all around us in areas that are connected to the basic needs that people have, right? From electricity to water to, yeah, absolutely. And so you need those three elements. You need that talent, you need that regulatory environment and you need the capital and they need to come together. And that's, so you asked me about myself, this is where I wanted to step out of my role, uh, my last role, my operational role uh, for a while in order to really understand I understand uh, the entrepreneurial side generally pretty well. Mm -hmm. I understand the regulatory side very well. Um, I have tapped into the capital markets, but I've never brought those three together in a way where I really feel that it creates a competitive advantage for a place like Europe in accelerating, you know, the sectors of the future. And I think cleantech is one of those,
0: right? So, uh, Christopher, are you ready to jump into a rapid-fire round? Always. All right, let's jump right in. So talking about um, scalability and and making a, a startup journey successful, would you say that R&D or production is the challenging bottleneck? If we take transportation and electrification startups, bottleneck production or the initial R&D? I think it's
1: production because I think that's where um, the scaling process, um, that's really the core of the scaling process.
0: All right. Now, venture capital versus bootstrap. What is your general go-to rule as an operator when it comes to the first two years of business? Is it grabbing more upfront capital, you know, to raise a ton of money, hire the right talent, and then spend marketing dollars? or is to try to keep the expenses low until you push out an MVP?
1: Yeah, so um, I think I've always adhered to the philosophy that uh, dilution is your friend. Um, I.e., okay. If you want to grow quickly, you need capital. Um, I, and I think, therefore, if you want to scale... So I've always gone into businesses at the scaling stage. And I think if you want to scale a business quickly, you need to ensure that you're extremely well capitalized um, because that is the way that you can really outgrow and outpace your competition.
0: Now, founder versus an investor. And since you've been on both sides, operator and allocator, what do you personally think drives the most impact?
1: Uh, The combination of both, if I can answer that way. I don't want to pick one of the two because I think... The founder without the investor is going to be a very poor founder. And uh, the investor without the founder is going to be sitting on a lot of cash without being able to deploy it. Now, I really think it's the symbiosis of the two. I I actually think that the best businesses are those where uh, smart uh, founders have met investors who really understand what it takes to scale their business. And who have deployed their capital accordingly, and have really enabled that founder, you know, her, him, or her, to grow their business um, at the pace at which the business can grow um, um, and scale and become a leader in its field.
0: And last but not least, direct versus indirect investment: what is the most efficient, rewarding, and impactful way? for founders with exits like you to reinvest their money?
1: Yeah, so I'm a strong believer in, um, in rolling up my sleeves. Uh, So I would say, um, I would always say direct. Uh, But having said direct, I think direct doesn't mean um, that. So when I say direct, it means, if I just come with money, then my money isn't smart, right? Uh-huh. If I can apply myself and my money to opportunities, then I can make my money smart. Meaning, I can create a advantage to for someone who believes that I can help them in their business. And whether you do that then through you know, um, through a venture capital firm, or you do it um, as an individual angel investor, or You do it through even, you know, a bigger, a bigger entity, but you apply yourself. I think that's the most important piece. So I think what I would, what I would hope that successful entrepreneurs do when they deploy their capital is that they also deploy their time at the same time, because I think that's how you really help scale, um, businesses. And that's how you really, um, allow your learnings to, um to be applied in the market and to benefit the people that your money is going to
0: Here, here to all the successful entrepreneurs out there please deploy Correct. your time and money thanks exactly. so much christopher for coming on the show thank you and to all of Pleasure you guys to be here. we're doing this podcast for you and we would love your feedback so you can sign up to our newsletter to exchange directly with us or just drop us a comment on linkedin twitter youtube until next time, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening to another episode of Climate Insiders, the leading climate tech podcast in Europe. If you've enjoyed this, be sure to subscribe at climateinsiders.co. Climate Insiders is brought to you by Clementum Capital, a late C to Series A climate tech VC. To learn more about Clementum Capital, apply for funding, or become an LP, visit clementum.com.